Thank you so much, musicians and vocalists and singers. Have you been blessed? Amen. Let's praise Jesus this morning. Amen. Well, welcome to our first edition of our new, our brand new series called You Asked For It. In these next 11, what may be 12 weeks, we're going to walk through questions that you as a church family submitted, and here's a few of those. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. I'm angry and can't condone what he did. What does forgiveness really mean? Next Sunday we'll talk about God's will. How do you know it's God's answer and not your own? How can I recognize that God is speaking to me and it's not my own ideas or thoughts about what to do? Week after that we'll talk about this. How do we prevent becoming stagnant in our relationship with Christ? Next week, we'll talk about what exactly happens when you die. Will you recognize family in heaven? And then, boy, week five is going to be the big bombshell, eschatology. We're going to talk about what happens at the end, the rapture, the millennium. Um, uh, Is ISIS, this is a question, would ISIS be the second beast that is sent to honor the first beast? For those of you who have read the book of of Revelation. Um, Will children continue to be born after the second coming? Next, we'll talk about judgment. Will we, we, will we be judged negatively even though we try but are not perfect Christians? Is there a perfect Christian? Is there biblical evidence for eternal security? Meaning if you get saved, is there a possibility of going back to being lost once you get saved? Are there sins that are unforgivable that keep you out of heaven? Next week, we'll talk about parenting and family. And here are the questions for that. What is a strategy for parents to show our children God's way instead of the world's way? How do we properly blend a family when each spouse has a child from a previous relationship? What is a strategy for convincing a spouse to come to church? Such good questions, right? Good questions. Next week, we'll talk about just life. Here's the questions. How do you deal with stress, guilt, and a lack of contentment? Week after that, we'll do Easter. Whoop, whoop. It's going to be awesome. Eight week after that, we're going to do a special event, jumpstart event. And then after that, we'll talk about this. How do you witness when they don't want to listen? How do you share Jesus with people at school? So students, be there for that one. Then the next one, the salvation of infants and children. What happens to children who have not been saved when they pass away? Or... If Jesus comes back before they are saved, what happens to those children and those babies? Ever wondered that? And then week 11, we'll talk about this. Predestined versus free will. If everything is predestined, then why pray? Does God know all the choices that I'll make in my entire life? And we'll probably, that's week 11, we'll probably tack on week 12 because there were questions, everything from having to do from did Noah bring dinosaurs on the ark to, I mean, you name it. So we might just, may just try to do a Spitfire session 12. So that's where we're going to be uh, all the way through April 24th, guys. And uh, if you want to know exactly which one of those are going to fall in, in line, you can go check out the website, RockyMountBaptistChurch.com, or our church Facebook page. You can go on Facebook and like that, and you can actually invite friends and family that you know who have maybe even had some of those questions, but have never been to a church event where those questions have been addressed, all right? 
So we're going to have fun. We're going to open all sorts of cans of worms, and it's going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, And today, as we mentioned, we're starting out with the topic of forgiveness, and here it is. I'm still angry and can't condone what he did. What does forgiveness really mean? And we'll be in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and we'll begin in verse 21, Matthew 18, 21. And as you're finding your place in Matthew chapter 18, 21, I I have a confession to make. Went to bed a little late last night, and and then about 3.03 a.m., both of us woke up at the same time. And I'm still working through this, so if things are off this morning, if you can just pray for me. Have you ever been woken up by a demonic cat sent straight from Hades? You ever been there? Like I thought there were, I thought at first there may be two and they weren't fighting. You fill in the blanks? Some of y'all, that's good. It went like that. That's good. It's good. And it was one of those things where you wake up and you're like, seriously? I've been, I mean, I've been awake, you know, 3 a.m., been asleep for like two and a half hours and it was just like you try to act like it's not there you try to do the charlie brown dad with the car problems thing just turn up the radio louder she tried to go back to sleep and mr and mrs cat was not shutting up so then i started getting ticked off i was like i'm preaching on tomorrow forgiveness i need to be ready to preach about grace and forgiveness and so i seriously had to, i said i'm i said i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go take the cat out now if you're a cat person I apologize, like I don't, I don't condone those types of things, like I don't condone cat littering, throwing it out the window on I-85, going 90 miles an hour, I don't condone that, I don't support that, but it was just like, I had it in my mind, I said, I do have a 12-gauge shotgun, I do have one, but I just thought, how would that be if I just lose it, and then one of our police officers, who's a member of the church, is patrolling, he's like, I gotta call something in, I think somebody either put something in my coffee, because I just saw my preacher and nothing but whitey tidies and cowboy boots carrying a shotgun down the middle of church streets. Either somebody slipped something into my drink at Hardy's or we need to change churches now. That was probably too much. If you're new, I'll, I promise we're not always that weird. But, but then I said, no, I can't do that. I'll wake up the neighbors. And, and I mean, God would not approve of that, you know, preaching forgiveness. And there's cat stuff all over the middle of the church street. So I, I, I went outside and, and finally there, I made a little noise and saw something run away. And then Jen, she fell right back to sleep. And I was up for two hours, ticked off at this cat, Lee. So if you can pray for me. I don't know why God and his sovereignty brought those events together. But I do think that it's very easy when we're around the things of the Bible to teach on things and God says, let me give you a little, little drop, a little seed, a little grain of sand on how you need to work on those things in your life. So if you can pray for me with my bitterness with this cat through this message, it's kind of one way to segue into honestly a very, very, very serious, serious topic. And in Matthew chapter 18 as we begin to work through that, there's, there's a statement that I, I heard from the Christian rapper Lecrae. Those of you who, who like Lecrae, he made a statement that I saw was, thought was so profound, and it kind of gives a, a package around this entire passage here, and he says, quote, the inability to forgive is a prison. The inability to forgive is a prison. 
And what we're going to look at in the Word of God is an incredible story of how forgiveness actually works. And in verse 21, here's kind of what happened. It says, when then Peter came to him, meaning Jesus, came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So here's what had happened. Somebody had ticked off Peter, probably again. And there were certain teachers in that time that said, you can forgive people, but you only have to forgive them a certain number of times. So Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter's trying to ask in a roundabout way, at what point do I get to not forgive? And notice how Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Wow. So is Jesus saying when it comes to forgiving people who misuse us, that we're to keep a calculator or a spreadsheet, a flowchart. Not at all. What Jesus is doing, he's using hyperbole, saying to the measure to which God forgives you, the extent and the number of times that God forgives you, you should give away what you freely received. And before we go further in the story that Jesus tells, I want to kind of give some framework here. Exactly what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Forgiveness. Well, number one, this is in your outline if you're taking notes, forgiveness is not forgetting. People say that all the time in culture. Well, just forgive and what? Forget. That is absolutely, unless you are too heavily involved in pro boxing, unless you have a car wreck, unless somebody hits you on the head, or God gives you supernatural memory wipe, it's not possible for us to forget what happened in real life. True or not true? Like it actually happened. So that's one thing. If you've been around church people for a while, sometimes church people can begin to spout things that they've heard that are completely not in the Bible. Forgiveness does not mean that you simply forget. Forgiveness also is not simply ignoring it. Forgiveness is not like the movie Frozen. Yes, I have seen that movie. It's not just let it go. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness also, this is very important to understand, forgiveness is not pardon. For example, if someone commits a crime, and it's a crime that involves you or your family being financially or physically harmed, as followers of Christ, we are to forgive them, to release them to God, but it's not the same as pardon. Are we tracking? If they commit a crime that involves damages, there has to be, according to the civil law, a fine or a price that is paid for that crime. So there's no contradiction between forgiving and, and pardon. You see, forgiveness is not easy. Hashtag divorce. Let me see. Forgiveness is not easy. You can involve divorce former boyfriends, girlfriends, being raised in a home to where you were never encouraged but always put down. And there's this level of bitterness that we have towards those people. Something to remember also is that forgiveness begins, but often we think that forgiveness means having good emotions towards the person that harmed us. Those are something that can follow, but forgiveness doesn't mean I forgive you, therefore I feel like I am just in absolutely infatuated with you because of what you did to me and my family and my children. 
it means that often there, it takes time to move towards those emotions fitting in with what is actually true with us releasing them to God. For example, the shock of betrayal. If you've been cheated on in a marriage relationship, it is absolutely, the rug has been pulled out from under you. You can forgive through the power of God, but that's not synonymous with having good emotions towards that person. Here is forgiveness, and this goes to the New Testament, which was written in the Greek language, and the word that's most often used for forgive, this is so interesting, it's the word for release. So forgiveness, and get this, forgiveness is releasing the offender to God. Releasing them to God. Remember the scripture says, do not take vengeance for yourselves, but give vengeance to whom? God. Now here's something that we don't talk about a whole lot in church, because often in church we get chicken, no chicken noodle soup for the soul. We don't look at the text. Even in the book of Revelation, this is fascinating to me, even in Revelation, to where there are this, this innumerable crowd of people who have been killed for being Christians. They're in heaven. They no longer have to deal with all the stuff that we deal with here. And still in heaven, they are asking God, how long, O Lord, until you send vengeance? How long, O Lord, until you send, check this out, basically justice? You see, often in church life, we think that forgiveness is the enemy of justice. But what it means, and this is, I love how John MacArthur put that. He said that it's kind of like, Unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and revenge is like us going up to the throne of God. There he is on his throne, all-powerful, and he has his divine sword of justice. And we say, God, I know that you're in control, but this person, this son of a, like this, this person, they need judgment now. So instead of releasing them to you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go try to climb up onto the throne of God and take that sword that only God can wield, and I'm going to try to take revenge on my own. MacArthur said, forgiveness is releasing them to God. We track him, and in releasing them to God, you get a two-for-one. You can get ultimate justice, but you're free because you're no longer the one that's holding it all inside. You're no longer the judge, jury, and executioner. You have justice, you have freedom, and somewhere in the middle we pray that God gives a heart change to the offender and so you can get all of the above. Because if they repent, their offense, their sin against you, against other people has been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's very helpful for us to understand those 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 little angles before we go into a discussion of forgiveness because if we think that forgiveness is pardon, we'll completely misunderstand it. Got it? All right, let's dive in. Here's the story. Here's, here's the gist of the story. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven, which is God's kingdom, which is life under the control of God. And he said it may be compared to a king there in verse 23. And he called his servants in to settle accounts with them. Verse 24, he began to settle. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now let's have a time out right there. There are different study books that you can find that give different numbers. The most recent one that I've found, given modern inflation, is that this debt that this servant 
took from this king was around $6 billion. This would have been, check this out, and you think your credit card score is bad. Check this. He owed 50 times the amount the entire region paid in taxes annually. The point, I mean, you can imagine Peter, I mean, blown away when Jesus says this guy owed this much. The guy, it would have taken everything he had plus more than he could ever make. He was living on borrowed time. And so here's what happens. He gets called in. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, the master ordered him to to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Yeah, right. I mean, what is this guy smoking? I mean, number one, he's a servant. He's not king part deuce. Like he, 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 he's a servant and he borrowed that much. Apparently, they didn't do background check, right? You know why Jesus is giving this example? Because it's crazy to say, how could one person owe that much debt? So he cries out and says, have, verse 26, what? Patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. Notice the word release. Release, key term. Released him and forgave him the debt. So he has been forgiven billions of dollars, like more than any one person could pay. This is before the era of the Mark Zuckerberg billionaires. This is before uh, all of that. This is where it's an agrarian society to where you didn't have even the ability to get that, that much in terms of financial wealth. So he was forgiven. But notice what he does immediately. Verse 28 But when that same servant went out, notice he didn't run across this guy, but he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be a very, very, very small sum compared to what he had been forgiven. And then he seizes him and he begins to choke him. Time out. Messed up or messed up? Like that's the first thing this joker did. Like, he didn't even go home and say, honey, look at what happened. We've been forgiven this. He finds the guy, begins to choke him, and notice what he says. Pay what you owe. And here's a little bit of deja vu in verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just as he had pleaded with the king, and said, have mercy, or excuse me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But here's where the story turns. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, here's where it's really, really, really jacked up. If he wants the debt paid, why would he throw the guy who owed him money in debtor's prison? The guy not only can't pay anything when he's in debtor's prison, here's, here's the bottom line. He was begged by his buddy just like he begged the king, but instead of giving mercy like he had been given... And he had been forgiven crazy amount of money. He threw this guy into debtor's prison. He was absolutely blinded by his own pride and arrogance. True? I mean, this is like lights out pride leading the path to self-delusion, leading to destruction. This guy goes absolutely buck wild. Because you know what? He was not concerned with even having his own debt paid back from his friend. You know what he was concerned about? 
He wanted to make that guy suffer. I don't, I don't care about forgiveness. I want you, because you owed me money and didn't pay it, I want you to go to debtor's prison. I See, I don't even care if it gets worked out. I want you to suffer. I want you to sweat. I want you to bleed because of what you did to me. What an absolute, complete, hypocritical attitude. He didn't even want the debt to get paid. Compared to his desire for revenge. And then maybe this took place in Franklin County because word passed very quickly. When his fellow servants saw, some of y'all know you can't get away with jack squat. I mean, man, you're like, oh, all right, and that's probably a good thing. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Wouldn't you be? And notice where they went. They went and reported to their master or the king all that had taken place. Bombs are about to fall. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, his, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or the torturers. Scary passage. Until he should pay all of his debt which FYI would never, ever be paid because he couldn't pay it. And here's the twist, verse 35. So, this is Jesus, or therefore also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who does not forgive his brother from his heart. Some will say, well, well who are, the, who are the, the tormentors? Who are those, those jailers? Many great Bible scholars have come up with different ways to interpret that. Some say it's the torture of bitterness and resentment. Um, some say it is, it is hell itself because people who do not forgive are not saved. And you can't give what you don't have. But either way, guys, it could be all that and more. It is a bad, bad existence for those who don't forgive according to Jesus. So Jesus warns us here that unforgiveness brings tormentors that is the most clear interpretation of that passage are we all tracking it brings absolute complete torment to not forgive and Jesus also says if you're taking notes in Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 through 15 for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. In other words, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, God, would you forgive me when we're not willing to forgive those who offend us? And then the question arises, well, can we lose our salvation if we don't forgive? Jesus is not saying that we lose our salvation if we don't forgive, but we lose the joy of our salvation. It means that our relationship with God, this is so amazing, is directly proportional to our relationship with other people. For example, if I'm angry at Jen, if I'm a jerk, if I'm a jerk of a, of a husband and baby that's going to be born, can't wait, right, in a few months, all right, like if I'm, a ba if, I'm, if I'm angry, I come home and I bring out the stress on my family and I don't repent for that, it means that when I try to do quiet time with Jesus, it seems like brass heavens, man. It seems like when you're trying to talk on the phone that there's static. 
It's like you're going through an area of the mountains and it's just in and out. It doesn't say that we lose our salvation, but we lose that intimacy. We lose that anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to do great things for God because we're not right with God because we're not right with other people. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that word there in verse 9, if we confess our sins, it has to do with a saying what God says about our sin. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You see, it's kind, of, it's kind of like software programs. You can download software programs, but if you don't have the key, the activation key to unlock it, you can't use the program. And I think what we have in many churches in America is people who have come to church for years and they know a lot about this book, but they don't forgive and there is no power of God in their life. Their families are wrecked because they've refused to allow God to come and fix their wreck of bitterness. I'm telling you guys that unforgiveness according to Jesus brings horrific, horrific torments. That means you can learn all you want to about the great theologians of history. You can learn Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You can quote John 3.16 in Greek. But if there is unforgiveness, then there is a deadness of heart. And may it be that we are people of forgiveness. And we're about to talk, okay, how do you actually go about that? And let me just give this before we drop in deep. If you are the type of person and you refuse to forgive, uh, according to the Bible, you don't know Christ. Because Jesus' story of the man who was forgiven the great debt, who wouldn't forgive his fellow a lesser debt, he's saying that we're all the first servant. We are all in debt to God. We all would never be able, if we tried to be good and good and improve ourselves and stop doing this and start doing these things, he's saying we'd never be able to pay that debt. In a million years, never, ever, ever would we be able to pay the debt. And he's saying that not only that, when we are offended by other people, compared to our debt to God, there's no one who could offend us like we've offended God. So if we have been forgiven, then it's not that we have to forgive. Through the power of God, we get to. But if you're a person that's filled with bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, you don't know Christ. All right? You don't know Jesus. You need to be saved. If you die right now without Christ, you go to hell for all of eternity, and there is no out of hell ever. It's because often when you talk to bitter people, the one who is supreme in their life is them, their body, their emotions, their experiences, as opposed to seeing ourselves in need of a forgiveness of a debt that we could never receive, and that is from God. So if you've been hurt by someone in your life and you find difficulty forgiveness, difficulty forgiving, welcome to the club. But if you refuse to forgive, no, it's because you don't have the ability because you've never been forgiven by God. So how 
By the way, welcome to church. So how do we actually forgive? How do you walk through that? Well, first off, we have to first admit that we've actually been hurt and wounded. You see, acting like it doesn't hurt only feeds bitterness and insecurity. For example, in the South, often we say, oh, it's no problem, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. The first step to forgiving is the Bible tells us to Matthew chapter 18, to tell your brother, to confess to that brother, to talk to them about what they've done. And there are sometimes we think that we've forgiven, but we've not actually done so. And it's kind of like this. For some of us, we say, well, I'm going to partially forgive. I'm going to forgive for what they did here, but not forgive what they did four years ago. And it's almost like, for those of you that are into archery, um, taking one of the fletchings or the arrow or the veins off the arrow, if you try to fire an arrow at a target, and I've actually done this in a church before, I didn't think that I should do it today but maybe we can do that at a later time. You try to fire an arrow with not the full veins, it's not going to hit on target. And the same thing for partial forgiveness. There's also something called probationary or conditional forgiveness that says this, I will forgive you for what you've done, but I'm gonna kind of set up a trial period for you. In other words, you did this, I'm gonna forgive you for it, but don't ever do it again or I'm not going to forgive you. That's not full and complete forgiveness because that's not the way God behaves to us. There's also postponing forgiveness. Say, you know what, let me, just, let, let, let me see how you do a month from now and then I'll offer you my forgiveness. You say, well Jeff, how do we actually go about asking for forgiveness? Well, here's something that if you need to ask forgiveness of another person, don't walk up to them and say, you know, if I was wrong, because what does that say? I'm not the one, I'm not the one, I'm not the one who's about as stable as 200-year-old dynamite. Like, I'm not the one who is, I'm not the one who's moody. I'm not the one who can't take a joke. If you walk into the situation, you say, if I was wrong, that means that you're the one with the problem. And that's probably not a good thing if you want to de-escalate. Amen? But you walk in and you say, I, I need to ask your forgiveness for and name it. You may even want to bring in a list. And for some of us, we may as well bring in a phone book. There's a, a man I knew in Florida, Roy Chastain, and um, he, he gave the stories back in 2005, and he said that there was someone who, it was an absolute betrayal during high school, and he said this guy, a former friend of his, just really stabbed him in the back, and he said, for 50 years, I, I wrote the guy a card every year around Christmas time and let him know that I cared for him and loved him. He said, 50 years after the fact, I received a letter, first communication ever from this guy, and he actually asked forgiveness for what he had done. And every year, Roy would say, I love you, I forgive you, I'd love to be your friend again. So first off, let's stop acting like it doesn't hurt. Secondly, we must first see ourselves in need of God's forgiveness knowing that our sin against God is greater than another person's sin against us. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And notice in the story, the servant didn't walk around forgiving himself, saying, I, I just can't find it, I just can't forgive myself. Listen, the point is not us forgiving ourselves. The point is being actually really forgiven. And if we know that we've come to God and he's actually given us a complete 
Forgiveness, full, past, present, future, everything washed clean. Man, that is a brand new thing. And what's so amazing about it is that he doesn't say, I'm going to put you on probation. (laughs) He doesn't say, I'm going to forgive you if you keep doing these things. And what Jesus is getting across in this story is, say you all, Jeff Robinson included, forgiven for more than you'd ever be able to pay God back for. And he gives you the opportunity to be offended and to give forgiveness. We're about to watch a, a short video here in just a moment And as we watch that, I want you to think about we must stop thinking about forgiveness as an opportunity for us being hurt, but it should be an opportunity to reflect the reality of the gospel. So we'll go ahead and and roll this video, and then we'll... On November 5th, 2003, all doubt of Ridgway's guilt was erased. He pleaded guilty to the murders of 48 women. He'd made a deal to cooperate with the prosecution to provide more information on his victims and the whereabouts of their remains. In doing so, he avoided a trial and possible death penalty. Mr. Ridgway, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count one for the death of Wendy Lee Caulfield? Guilty. How do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count two? Guilty. 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 It's like he didn't have any remorse at all for what he had done. You know, he'd killed so many people, he didn't remember who they were, what they looked like. I just couldn't believe that somebody could kill all those people and not remember them. Neither could the angry relatives of his victims who were invited to speak in court when Ridgway was sentenced to life without parole on December 18, 2003. You had said your memory, when it comes to all of the women you took, was gone. Our memory is not. In your words, you said that they didn't mean anything to you, but she meant everything to us. She was a mother, she was a wife, she was a sister, and we miss her. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's gonna go to hell and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you I'm not one of them you've you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe and it is what God says to do and that's to forgive you are forgiven sir stuff when we look at, at something like that <clears throat> firsthand I'm moved with a passion of justice that's something that God's given all of us 
when I first heard about this about 10 years ago in class, and, and, I, and I looked it up, and I, I said, what greater picture of the power of the gospel, guys? I mean, I've not, I've not had a daughter who's been, had that happen. And it wasn't just, like the commentator said, a dose of human kindness. The power of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, yes, there is justice. Yes, there are crimes that need to be paid for. But as far as my relationship with you, relationship with God, through the power of God, I forgive you. I release you to God. And we saw people still filled and enslaved by bitterness. Then we saw a father who lost a daughter with rainbow suspenders. Said, there are people here who hate you, but I'm not one of them. Notice how real he was. He said, you've made it difficult. You've made it difficult to obey what God says, and that is to forgive. And he says, you, sir, are forgiven. And if you followed the Gary Ridgway story at all, people were just in awe about how heartless this guy seemed to be. This serial killer, this mass murderer, and it didn't matter what people said. He just, he just looked at them like they were taking his order at, at cookout. But when he was offered forgiveness, it just blew up all over the blogosphere that it was that man's, that father's offer of forgiveness that broke Gary Ridgway. And I think, you know, sometimes we say, God, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? It very well may be that there have been inexcusable things that have happened to you. You were not at fault. Most of us are at fault at some point, but maybe it was a situation to where things happen. Family stuff. Cheated on, beat as you were a child. And it was inexcusable. But then one day you heard about Jesus. And it wasn't those people's sin against you that was in the focus. It was your sin against Jesus. And he made his power so real and he came into your life and gave you a new heart and a new set of desires and set you free. Let you know that you're a child and he's going to adopt you and he's never going to let you go. And not only that, he's going to surround you with other people who love him. And he says, you know what, I don't care what you'll ever do. He says, because I, I love you and I've forgiven you. Oh my goodness. What a great offer. And in this world, maybe if we saw more of that type of freedom, we would see God work more in our lives. And it very well may be the case that people who have abused us so terribly, they can't even bring themselves to ask us for forgiveness. But it's the elephant in the room. And it may be that you as a man or a woman of God who loves Jesus Christ can take it on yourself and in humility and grace saying, you know what, we both know what happened, but I don't let you know Jesus Christ has changed my heart. And I don't know how exactly to do all this, but I forgive you. And I'm going to ask God to work in your life as he's working in my life. I tell you what, the Bible says, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. We're about to have a time of response to what we've learned from God's word this morning. And if you could with me, if you could just bow your heads and conclude.